Well, good morning. I, um, happy Thanksgiving. I know people are traveling. How many people are, you're, you're, you're in town for Thanksgiving? Staying home. Awesome. How many people have traveled from out of town and you're here this morning for Thanksgiving? Awesome. Awesome. Welcome. Um, <clears throat> we are, I, I am going to pick up where we've been, what we, on what we've been talking about. And uh, particularly, I want to go back for, uh, and review, not review, but just catch you up from last week and move it forward. And uh, like I've said before, my intention is never to just distill information and pump you full of information. That's not what I'm here for. Uh, and I don't think that's what he's here for. That's the, the, the head knowledge is what puts me to sleep. I, I've been looking for life, a life transformed. I'm looking for transformational life. And, um, and so I feel like that what we've been talking about for the past several weeks, especially in the atonement of what Jesus has done, uh, we're, we're beginning to understand the why behind the what, or the what behind the why. And um, uh, which for me is just, it, I, I told you, I grew up in the church, born and raised you know, in the church. Uh, well, wasn't born in the church. I was born in the hospital, but um, <clears throat> and I was actually raised at home. But I went to church on Sundays, just like this, and uh, was in church, at, you know, every Sunday and most Wednesday nights and that sort of thing. And so, anyway, and so went to a, a private school, went to a Christian school, went to a Christian university, and I found myself one day reading uh, through Scripture uh, in Luke. Uh, I think it's uh, two, where the angels show up, or one. And uh, say, Hosanna in the highest. You know, the, the, the angels break in over the shepherds and just start singing this heavenly song. And I remember thinking, why are they so happy? You know, it's like, I, like I, I get it. I get it because a savior is born, but why, why all the joy? Why all the... And, uh, and so I realized like, wow, I've, I've been in church all my life. And, and uh, I, I think what I'm asking, what I was asking, I know the what they're singing about, but I'm, it's the why. And the why always has to do with the experience. So I'm like, well, what, what's the, what, or what is the experience behind what they're singing about? And, um, and so anyway, so, so we're kind of been, we've been unpacking this. And so if you have your Bibles, if you, if you don't do it for your sake, would you just do it for my sake, just to appease me? But I, I would love for you to follow along. And even though I'm doing all the work for you, and you can honestly, you can sit back there and go, well, you know, he'll never know. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. And, and you're right, I won't know. Uh, I, I just, I think I'm, I am, I am passionate for us as a church to get this. Uh, not that, it, that, not that we're going to get it, that we're going to, but it, there, there's something that the Holy Spirit is continues to unpack. And so, Lord, I ask for help in hearing. <clears throat> you said all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Gospels, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Lord, would you give us ears to hear? And I pray, Lord, this morning that, that, uh, uh, just a, that you would tend your garden, which is our hearts. That's why that you would remove the things that that you would clarify, that you would cause things to come into focus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 89. We've been looking at this. Psalms 89, 14. 
says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and loving kindness and truth go before your face. Probably one of these weeks, I'm probably gonna just sit on this one verse and, and talk about all the implications that this verse has behind it. Um, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. I forget, does anyone have the, is it the New Living Translation? I think it says, um, it says, um, mercy and loving kindness and truth go before you as attendants. I was like, wow, what a word picture. So I have the throne. This, this, this is the chair. It's a chair, but it's, but it's symbolic of a throne. I thought I'd put it on this side for all the people over here. I'm always sitting in over here and watching people trying to see through this podium going, what's he doing? What's he saying? And uh, so righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And we talked about that this represents the government, if you would, of heaven, the government of God, righteousness and justice which is such a comfort. This is such a comfort because the, 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 the fact that God is just means that he is looking out for my well-being. Yeah, all the good that is due me this, from this seat, he is gonna make sure that I get as well as the, the, the punishment that, 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 that the enemy deserves. He is gonna to see to it that the punishment is administered. So the righteousness is the upholding of his government the justice is the administration of, uh, of the reward and the punishment, so to speak. And so as soon as I say punishment, all of us kind of go, or I do, just kind of cower and go, Oof, oh, dear God. I think that's the thing I'm afraid of, is that he's going to punish me. And, and so I, I, we were talking about this word last week, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And we were talking about that that uh, the, what I was wanting to do last week was, was to, if you w- reverse that definition, where, uh, where I don't think that justice, where I'm not trying to define justice as punishment that's due me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. But, but to look at it from when, when we read this, when he wrote this, when he says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, God, what do you mean by justice? What do you mean? And so we could picture him saying, oh, it would mean that I would be unjust if I was to withhold something that I had promised to you. I would be unjust. That's an injustice. That's an unjust. And so the, the justice, if you would, is that he is bent or intent on delivering to you what he has promised. And so I, I think we... we we need to hear this over and over and over. It needs to be hammered in. It needs to be a part of our foundation. It needs to be part of the, the thing that we stand on, the thing that we know that we know that we know that we know that he is intent on delivering to you what he has promised to you. Amen. If he wasn't, then he would be, by his own definition, unjust. Amen. And the government of that kingdom, of his kingdom, would topple. Because now all of a sudden we've got a traitor or we've got a, you know, um, someone who's not owning up their end of the bargain and that's not who he is at all. So he is a just God and this just God is bent on delivering to you the very thing that he's promised to you. So 
With that understanding, I want, I'm still gonna go back and review. First John chapter five, verse 14 and 15. Knowing that he is intent on delivering the promise to you, to me. He's intent. His very government is set up on the premise that he delivers. He does what he says he's gonna do. Based on that, we read this. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. The verse looks like this. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask, he hears. And if we know that he hears, we have. How do we know this? Because righteousness and justice are the foundations of his, of foundation of his throne. He is intent on delivering to you what he has promised to you. What is the confidence? We talked about this last week. It's believing that our prayer is answered or granted at the time that we pray. Not only that, and that we already have what we prayed for. Chip, I can't get the emergency break off. And that is so difficult for us because we've been trained in just the opposite. You know what? By the world standards, that's foolishness. Nobody's gonna believe in something that they haven't seen except a child. I mean, everyone knows that one of the earmarks of maturity is to, hey, prove it. And yet, one of the characteristics of the kingdom is unless you enter like a little child, you won't see it. And so what we've been trained in is basically, I'll believe it when I see it. And yet the kingdom is, oh no, you'll, you'll, once you believe it, you'll begin to see it. Did I say that right? Okay, so having said that, I want to go to this touch point. Where's your faith? And we're gonna talk about faith. And I feel like it's really important to talk about faith because the faith, our faith, is where we access the invisible. It's, it's the handshake, so to speak, with God. And during worship, I saw a picture of like, you know, uh, like a baton, a run, runner in a race, you know, when, they, when they're doing, when there's a handing off the baton, that there's a baton that's being, that's being lowered down from heaven and then the Lord, and it's, it's called your promise. It's called a promise. And the Lord is intent on giving, delivering to you the promise that he's given to you, the promise that he's made to you. And there's this part of us where we have to take it. And that reach right there and that grab, if you would, is called faith. Okay? So we, 
I've highlighted this verse uh, numerous weeks, uh, talking about where's your faith, where Jesus asked his disciples, they're in the middle of the boat, you know the whole, the whole story, where in the middle of the storm, and they wake him up, and he wakes up, rebukes the storm, and then he asks them that question, where is your faith? And so <clears throat> we have looked at that question and turned it and, and continue to turn it, and we'll continue to revisit it because everyone knows we're all slow learners. But we're thankful for our brain. <laughs> so, <clears throat> when poised with this question, where's your faith? Immediately we think in terms of amount. Oh, I don't, or when you think, do you have faith for this? I immediately think in terms of, do I have enough faith? Do I have faith? And, and so, it, faith somehow has become synonymous with an amount. And so Jesus said, basically, it's not necessarily the amount, it's the focus. Because he said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which is not a large amount, you could say to this mountain, be moved, and it would be moved. And, and yet we hear that and read that and we think, wow, well, I don't even have that amount of faith. Because all of my mountains are just going, they're not moving. So therefore, I must not have the right amount. It's like, no, 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 no. It's your focus. Your focus is on you. My focus is on me. If I have, then this will happen. If I have enough, then this will happen. If I don't, then I, it won't. So the common denominator of my math equation when it comes to faith is me. And the whole reason that Jesus came was to remove the me and replace it with him. So we get our eyes off of us and our inabilities and onto him and his abilities and go, wow, this is awesome. So today... We're going to talk about faith, and the, the Bible actually talks about different kinds of faith. Actually, talks about four different kinds of faith. We're going to look at four different kinds of faith. Okay, so before we get to there, we're going to look at something. All of this is just to re, uh, remind us, jumpstart our memory. So what we're going to look at is actually in Matthew 13, but we're gonna look at uh, Luke 8. Put your finger there in Luke 8 because we're gonna come back to Luke 8. But before we get started, so the, the parable that we are gonna look at as far as the first example of uh, the types of faith is actually this parable right here. It's the parable of the sower. The reason that I put this verse up here is because when Jesus was describing his, to the disciples, the meaning of the parable of the sower, the first sentence that he says to them is, is this is the meaning of the parable, the seed is God's word. Remember that? We talked about the seed versus our symptoms. And so the seed is God's word. So I'm bringing this back around, if you would, full circle or just a drive-by, just go, hey, the seed, remember, is God's word. The promise is it comes to us in seed form. The seed, the promise, is like a seed. It comes in seed form. Why is this so important for us to know this? Because when our promise is given to us, 
Because it's in a seed form, oftentimes we see no evidence of it. And if we don't understand that, we'll miss it. So, if I had an apple seed up here, I could say, hey, Tony, I'm gonna give you an apple tree. Uh, He'll say, "Uh, it's not an apple tree. No, no, it is, it's an apple tree. No, that's a seed. You're right, but the tree is inside of the seed. And the promise that God gives to you oftentimes comes in a seed form. And so it's as we take the seed and deposit it into the soil of our heart, which is called believing, that things begin to happen. It's not till the seed is actually planted that the seed begins to grow. But once the seed is planted, the seed has the power to do its own work. Remember, he is intent on delivering to you the promises that he has made to you. I wasn't going to read this, but I am. Joshua 23, 14. I've read this before. Joshua 23, 14. Joshua 23, 14. 14th verse of the 23rd chapter of Joshua. (laughs) Joshua says this. He's talking to the Israelites. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth, which means he's, 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 his, his term as leader was, was passing. And you know in all of your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Now, we all know by reading this story that not all of them that heard the promise actually made it. But God still delivered. He was good on delivering the promise. It's just they couldn't take it. But that's, a, that's, that's another lesson for another time. Okay. Now, there are different kinds of faith. Turn to Matthew 13. We want to look at four. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus is talking about, he's, he, he's unpacking the parable of the sower. And here's what he says. Because remember that, a sower went out to sow seeds. Some fell on the good soil. Some fell on rocky soils. Remember that? Do I need to read this? Are you guys? The one on, on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, Hold your finger there. Go back to Luke chapter eight and Luke's rendition of the exact same uh, uh, verse says this. 
Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. So basically, Jesus is describing what it's like for these different people to receive a promise from God. So this one, he's, he's liking it uh, to, to, to rocky soil. So basically, say they hear it, they receive it with joy. So they're like, wow, this is awesome. Man, I went to the prophetic ministry. Tell you what, they read my mail. They said all this stuff. It was amazing. They, they had no idea that that, I mean, I, how did they know that my favorite color was blue? How do they know that? How do they know that I dream about the number seven? How do they know that I wanted a walrus when I was a baby? So, and so... So they receive it for a while. It says they, they believe for a while. And it says, and in the time of temptation, the time of temptation, they fall away. They believe for a while. And in the time of temptation, they fall away. So they believe for a while. What is it about me that wants to put a timeline on the promises of God? Like, I mean, what, and, and if so, what is it? What, what is the timeline? Is it like a, a week, a month, two months, three months, a year? Somehow I had the audacity to think that I know when God's gonna deliver, fulfill his word to me. And when it doesn't happen, when I think it's supposed to happen, I let go of it. It says that then they fall away when temptation comes. It's like, like, what what do you mean by temptation? It's like someone gets a prophetic word and all of a sudden they're tempted to cheat on their taxes. Like, I don't don't understand the temptation. What are you you talking about? Temptation, Why, why why would you say temptation? Temptation in regards to what? Because when you, when you first read this, it feels like that these two uh, thoughts are actually jammed together, yeah. right? They believe for a while, and in the time of temptation, they fall away. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to cheat on my taxes. I'm just going to whatever. It's like, no, what are, what's he talking about? The, the temptation is unto something. It's pointing to something. The temptation is actually directed towards the word, towards the promise. The temptation... It's not to cheat, steal, or anything like that. It's to quit believing. It's to give up. It's to walk away. It's to let go. Okay? Now, going back to the previous verse in Matthew, let's see what Matthew says about it. It says, the one on whom seed was sown in the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. Ah, the faith that he has is what the Bible calls temporary faith. The temporary faith believes for a while. And then let's go. And it says that the temporary kind of faith is real easy to define if you're struggling with temporary kind of faith. 
It says that when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, and immediately we're thinking, man, am I gonna be drug out and beaten because of this promise that he's given me? Probably not. So let, let's kind of scrap that just a little bit, but let's, let's, let's try to figure out what he's talking about when affliction or persecution arises. And let's just try to, if you would, take it at its basest form or basest definition. It means basically, basically this, when life doesn't look like what we think it's supposed to look like, we fall away. <laughs> Often, when our circumstances don't measure up with our expectations concerning the promise, we give up, we let go. Or here it says, we fall away. Falling away would include, you know what else it includes? Accusing God to God. You said, you promised. Righteousness and justice, the foundation of his throne. Maybe the issue here is that you're trying to grab it with a temporary kind of faith. Maybe your timeline and his timeline are completely different. The thing about it is, the justice of God, the justice, basically, he, ha once the seed is planted, he has to make it grow. It's part of his justice. You can't make it grow. It's not up to you to grow it. It's up to him to grow it. But once the seed is planted, it's the justice of God. It, he is required to make it grow. Yeah, the next kind of faith. Turn to James chapter two. James 2.19. The next kind of faith is an intellectual faith. James says this, <clears throat> you say that you have faith or you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. It's like, what? Demons have faith? Sure do. James is saying that demons have a faith, a faith that believes, but it's a belief of the mind and not of the heart. Those are two different beliefs. Intellectual kind of faith is saying with our mouth what we believe, but we live our lives like we don't. It's called an intellectual, intellectual faith. It's this belief that actually lends itself, if you would, a, with a mental assent. <sighs> Unfortunately, I not only am a member, I'm also the president of this club. So, okay. The next kind of faith, the third kind, it's a dead kind. In James 2, scrolling back up a little bit with verse 14, watch this. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people claim that they have faith, but they don't act like it? That's what I was just talking about. Can that kind of faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or sister has no clothes or food. Suppose one of you says to them, go, I hope everything turns out fine for you. Keep warm, eat well, and you do nothing about what they really need. Then what good have you done? Nothing, you've done no good. Nothing has changed for them because I haven't done anything. I've simply spoken empty words. It is the same with faith. If it doesn't cause us to do something, it's dead. James is drawing an analogy, he's drawing a parallel between a belief and an action, or better yet, a belief by itself and a belief with an action. He's saying, just saying, be warm and filled to someone needing clothing and food and you don't act on it is the same as saying you have faith and you don't act on it. The faith that scripture is pointing to, the kind that reaches up and grabs the baton is the faith that takes action in regards to what I believe. Basically, it says, I will adjust my life to line up with what I'm believing. I'm skating to where the puck is going and I'm going to wait until he delivers it. I will live my life as though he has answered my request. Faith without doing something is a dead faith. Last of all, turn to Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Boy, I hear those pages turning in, their, in your iPhones. It's so. <laughs> Romans 10, verse nine and 10. Paul says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. That's the definition. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So how do you, how do you know you believe when God has spoken to you? Well, it's when you begin to live your life as though it has already happened. I wanna read something to you. Um, this is from a book. Uh, called uh, Placebo. And if you look at the, the cover of it, um, you don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Enough of that. But anyway, <laughs> um, but this, this is a story of a guy who uh, uh, died and actually went to heaven. The way that he died was, was his main aorta ruptured. So the main trunk line that, 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 that carries most of the blood to his heart, all of a sudden ruptured. And uh, uh, um, he was in the hospital and, and he went to heaven and he, and he went to heaven with the objective of pleading for his life. And he talks about this, he talks about what he saw, some different stuff, and some of it's a little bit um, uh, unsettling, to, to be honest with you. And uh, unsettling meaning, it's like, wow, that, this is real, this is kind of a real thing that's happened. 
And, uh, or actually he, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm getting pulled out. But in his request, the Lord healed him. And, uh, and so he tells of, of the healing and what it looked like. And so that's what I'll read for you. Almost daily, my faith has been tried. One of the first trials was the healing God gave me. Not only did he heal me of my ruptured artery, but he also healed me of another semi-rare incurable ailment. This ailment had nothing to do with the ruptured artery or the miracle, but was something I had to deal with for 20 years. It was a condition the doctors called sleep apnea. Snoring. Sleep apnea is an ailment that somehow causes the automatic respiratory function to fail when one is sleeping. When I would have one of these attacks, I would be awakened with a start, unable to breathe. When I sat up and touched something, I would start back to breathing. It was a frightening experience, but it bothered me only when I was sleeping. When I asked God for healing, I was asking only for healing of my ruptured artery. However, when God told me that I was healed, it was for both conditions. God healed both conditions, but both were healed in different ways. He healed me of sleep apnea instantly. This type of instantaneous healing is what is known as miracle healing. He healed me of the ruptured artery by divine healing, which occurs through a process or over a period of time. He told me I was healed, but for a period of three months or more after our return from the hospital, my body did not feel healed. Sometimes the pain was so great that it seemed I could not stand it. During these times, my wife pleaded with me to return to the hospital for help, but I could not do that. God told me I was healed, and I had to believe him. If God had not told me I was healed, then I would have returned to the hospital for help. However, I had to trust God no matter how much I hurt. After a few months, my, bodily, my body finally found out that it had been healed. God had healed me of two serious ailments and had done it in two different ways. Each way, for both, uh, each, each way for each ailment was his choice. However, my faith was involved in both healings. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it is not talking about that physical organ that pumps the, the blood throughout your body. Instead, it is talking about your innermost being, your spirit. So it was with my heart, my spirit, my innermost being, that I believe God and I acted on that belief. What God told me came to pass because I believed. I practiced that faith every day and I stood the test on a daily basis. The test did not come one day and was over. The test did not come two days and was over, nor did it come three days and was over. The testing came day after day after day, week after week after week, and month after month after month. I had to face every day believing in what God said and going about my business as if my body believed it too. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, wrap up with this. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus says, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them when you pray. 
his intent on delivering to you every promise that he has made to you. It's, in, it's his intent. It's part of his justice system. He has to deliver on what he said, otherwise he's an unjust God. We talked about this uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Some of us have been listening to the wrong voice. It's the voice of the accuser. The voice of the accuser has been accusing him to you. And he's taking advantage of that timeline that we talked about. It didn't happen when you thought it was gonna happen. Therefore, he's not trustworthy. can't rely on him. He won't come through. All lies. And what he did was he convinced us to let go of the promise. And when we did, the faith that we held on to at the very beginning is actually turned out to be it was temporary. The beautiful thing about God if you don't have this one memorized or marked in your Bible, you want to mark this one. Jonah chapter three. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Says this. Then the word of the Lord returned a second time to Jonah. He's the God of the second chances. Righteousness and justice, it's the foundation of what he sits on. Him delivering him to you what he said he was gonna do, it's actually wrapped up in the government of heaven. Has to happen. Let's stand. So Lord, we just, we just say, <clears throat> would you forgive us? Forgive us and would you help us? Lord, where we have let go of what we knew, what we felt to be true from you, would you forgive us, Lord? Forgive us, Lord, for our short-sightedness. Forgive us, Lord, for our temporary mindset. Forgive us, Lord, when we've said we're gonna do something, but our life doesn't add up. Our life doesn't prove, doesn't show that, we're actually, that, we're actually, that we actually believe what we say. Lord, I, I ask, Lord, I ask according to your grace that you would deliver all of us from intellectual faith. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would cause every person in here to be hungry for the experience of the kingdom. The experience of what you're talking about, Lord. And I bless each one. I bless you, I bless you, I bless you. So Lord, we, we ask 
forgot what I was going to pray. <laughs> In Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>